You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Hello, and welcome to an author debriefing from the International Spy Museum. I'm Mark Stout, the museum's historian. Here at the museum, we get the most interesting authors, including journalists, scholars, former spies, and intelligence officers, coming in to speak with our visitors and answer questions about their latest works dealing with espionage, intelligence, and other national security issues. Please join me in listening to another of our selected hour-long author debriefings. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming to the International Spy Museum today. I'm Mark Stout, the historian of the museum, and we are really very fortunate today to have for our author debriefing uh, Dr. Vadim Birstein, a historian, a human rights activist, uh, activist, and also a scientist, a molecular geneticist, I think. Uh, fortunately, I, certainly for me, and I suspect for most of you in the room, we will not be talking about molecular genetics today, but rather history and human rights. Uh, Dr. Bierstein was born in Moscow, educated at Moscow State University, where he got his Doctor of Science in 1987. He, uh, he came to the United States, first came to the United States in 1991, um, uh, but uh, actually up through 1998, he was a senior research scientist with the Koltsov Institute of Developmental Biology in Russia. In his scientific career, he's been the author of uh, something over 150 scientific papers and three books. And as I understand it, he's also one of the world's leading experts on the endangered sturgeon. Take that up on the margins if you like. Uh, while he was still in the USSR, Dr. Bierstein became a human rights activist. And in particular, he specialized in the fate of foreign prisoners in the gulag, the vast system of political prisons that existed in, uh, throughout the Soviet Union. Uh, also in medical experimentation on human beings and in the fate of Raoul Wallenberg. I think we'll, we may hear a bit more about that today. Uh, in 1990 and 1991, in fact, he was a member of the International Commission on Raoul Wallenberg, a process which, as I understand it, actually still continues, or at least has continued until recently. He brought his knowledge of science and his skills as a historian to bear in a really fascinating book, which I have read, uh, called The Perversion of Knowledge, The True Story of Soviet Science which I would not exactly describe as uplifting, but certainly illuminating, uh, and which I think says a whole lot about the Soviet Union. That was published in the United States in 2001. Uh, for the last 10 years since then, he's been doing, if you'll pardon me truly, Stakhanovite work, uh, researching today's book, uh, Smirsch, Stalin's Secret Weapon, Soviet Military Counterintelligence in World War II. Smirsch, uh, the name comes, of course, from the Russian, Russian Smirchpionum, or Death to Spies, uh, it's, one, it's one organization that many, many people have heard of. If nothing else, James Bond took care of that, uh, but that in, actually almost nobody knows anything about. And I think we all owe a great debt to Dr. Bierstein to, uh, for, for, for filling that gap, filling that void. 
Uh, Smersh was responsible for rooting out spies, subversives, and anybody who dared to think for themselves within the Red Army. It was, among other things, the organization that arrested Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It was also responsible for many of the so-called radio games, uh, the deceptions that the Soviets mounted against the Germans during World War II. It's very well known uh, that the Allies uh, thoroughly deceived the Germans at almost every turn during World War II, much less well known uh, that the Soviets did much the same thing. Though I do see here we have in our, in our audience today Bob Steffen, who wrote a very good book on that, on that subject. Um, and Smersh even played a significant role in the Nuremberg trials after the war. The irony is delicious, of course, the worst criminal in the world, criminals in the world at the time being investigated and judged, at least in part, by probably the second worst criminals in the world. Uh, so we have much to learn about this secret piece of history about Smersh. Uh, so without further ado, let's start learning. Dr. Bierstein. Uh, thank you, Mark. And I'm very grateful to be here uh, for your invitation and uh, to the museum who invited me. Okay. My book uh, is entitled Smersh, Stalin's Secret Weapon. Smersh is a, an acronym of two Russian words, Smersh uh, Pionov, which in English translates as Death to Spies. The uh, cover of that book is based on the poster created by my aunt. She was quite famous poster designer during the first uh, days of the Great Patriotic War, uh, as the World War II is known in Russia. Uh, it started in June uh, 1941. And the poster says, this woman says, don't chatter, which illustrates the fear of spies in Soviet Union. Uh, this fear was created during Stalin's time for a long time, and um, it uh, was for the continuing uh, of terror during Soviet Union. There was uh, this complete overwhelming uh, fear of spies everywhere among Soviet population and as well as foreign spies. But um, Smersh was the name of uh, military counterintelligence uh, from the beginning, from the middle of. Uh, a great patriotic war. Uh, before that, Smersh um, was named, uh, was called uh, Directorate of, of um, uh, it had another name, and uh, um, the main uh, idea of uh, counter military counterintelligence during Stalin's time was. Uh, really to find out uh, spies among Red Army. And as we know, uh, <clears throat> many of um, uh, leading commanders were arrested and executed during the Great Terror, which was just before the Second War. Uh, however, with the beginning of the war, uh, this organization continued to arrest uh, many uh, famous commanders because on Stalin's orders, uh, because Stalin uh, tried to claim uh, and blame uh, military commanders for the disastrous two years of the war. Uh, additionally, with the beginning of the war, a real 
threat of spies appeared because Germany sent uh, enormous number of spies behind Soviet uh, lines as well as um, it, uh, its uh, intelligence services uh, created uh, about 70 uh, schools for spies. The schools were, um, the, uh, these spies were uh, recruited from local population as well as from prisoners, Soviet prisoners of war, which were extremely numerous during the first two years. Uh, also, there was a real threat from um, former white Russians. Uh, the immigration organizations created a net of uh, units through the whole Europe and, and uh, even in China, which were extremely anti-Soviet and uh, joined uh, German efforts in uh, trying to destroy Stalin's regime. Uh, the uh, Stalin considered all uh, prisoners of war uh, being uh, uh, guilty of treason and uh, poten as potential spies. That's why uh, almost five million uh, servicemen who were captured during the first two years of the war, uh, according to his opinion, needed to be vetted and uh, checked if they were real spies. But for the public, uh, Soviet propaganda uh, created such posters like this one. Uh, supposedly all uh, Red Army and all Soviet people were ready to fight and die for the motherland and for Stalin personally. Smirsch uh, was almost unknown until recently, especially in the West. In the West, in English, there were only two books published uh, after the Second War, um, but they were published. One was uh, written by a translator in one of Smirsch's units, another was written by a um, officer, Smirsch officer, uh, they were, they have very good information, but they were so unbelievably uh, strange for the West that they were forgotten very soon. As for um, Soviet Union and Russia, the first detailed book uh, which described the structure and activity of Smirsch was published by the FSB, uh, which is successor of KGB, only in 2003. Uh, and it was published with the idea to glorify uh, this service. Uh, however, as Mark mentioned, Smirsch was uh, known as an organization which uh, arrested in 1944 Mm, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, late, who later became Nobel Prize laureate uh, for his uh, famous Archipelago Gulag, as well as Raoul Wallenberg, uh, who was uh, arrested by Smirsch unit in Budapest in early 1945, and uh, who is very well known. I think that there is no um, sense to uh, describe his activity. He saved Jews in uh, Budapest. And uh, uh, after the, his arrest, he really disappeared in one of uh, Moscow investigative prisons. 
And since 1947, it's not known what happened to him. No, basically, it's clear that he is dead now. Mm, however, the number of people who, whose life smash affected was enormous. According to some Russian sources, uh, Smirsch wetted almost 6 million of Soviet servicemen and civilians who were in uh, German hands. Of them, uh, at least 600,000 were arrested and ended up in the Gulag or executed. Uh, but on the whole, as uh, FSB historians consider, um, about 10 millions of people uh, were life of uh, lives of 10 million people were touched by smash. The most uh, unknown uh, page in smash uh, history was that uh, a team of smash. Uh, operate, operatives was involved in the Nuremberg trial, which I talk uh, a little bit about, which I will talk a, li a little bit later. Uh, and it's very well known that uh, Smersh, uh, the name Smersh, the word Smersh, was used by the British author, J uh, author of James Bond books, as uh, Bond's nemesis. Uh, young Fleming used this name, it's not clear how he got it, but uh, he as an intelligence officer during uh, the Second War definitely knew about the existence of this absolutely secretive uh, at the time organization. But what was Smirsch? Uh, in 1943, after, uh, five, after winning uh, the Battle of Stalingrad, uh, the Red Army really turned from defensive to offensive. And Stalin decided to change the structure of his secret services. His monolithic uh, NKVD, which was a commissariat um, for interior affairs, was divided in three parts. Uh, one was SMERSH, which was uh, military counterintelligence. Then there was uh, still uh, Internal Affairs Commissariat and KVD, and the third organization, State Security Commissariat and KGB. Stalin considered this three-part structure uh, much better suited for the uh, offensive than uh, uh, for defense. Uh, Smersh existed from April 1943 to May 1946. Uh, it was uh, a successor of um, part of NKVD, the NKVD Directorate of Special Departments. Uh, special Departments was the traditional name under which uh, military counterintelligence was known through the whole history of uh, Soviet Union. But uh, there was a big, big difference between uh, he, previous position of military intelligence and uh, after uh, the creation of Smersh. Smersh. Mm, Smersh was embedded uh, among the military, and uh, Smersh officers uh, had uh, normal, usual, casual uh, military uniforms. The uh, officers of KVD had their own uh, uniforms. But the main point was that it was not subjected. Uh, also, officers had this military uniform. Uh, they were not subjected to military authorities. They were um, subjected only to uh, 
their own hierarchical structure with the headquarters in Lubyanka in Moscow. And uh, um, as uh, head of NKVD, Commissar uh, of uh, NKVD, Beria lost his uh, superiority over military counterintelligence. Now it was uh, subordinated directly and reported to directly to Stalin as defense commissar. Now here you can see the ID of uh, uh, Smirsh officer, and uh, this uh, using this ID only this way. Uh, Smirsh officer can identify it himself because he had usual normal uh, uniform of a uh, Soviet military. Uh, what was the goal in the, uh, of Smirsh? Traditionally, as uh, the previous uh, uh, military intelligence, it continued to arrest uh, real and imagine uh, spies and traitors among the uh, Soviet military, which basically which uh, Stalin wanted to arrest for his own purposes and uh, uh, declare them to be scapegoats uh, for his own wrong decisions. But what is important to understand is that after uh, an officer or somebody was arrested on the uh, uh, charge of treason, his family also suffered. Uh, it was automatically uh, also arrested and uh, ended up usually in exile or sometimes in the Gulag camps. Uh, surveillance of the Red Army continued and uh, it was based on enormous army of um, uh, informers, uh, which each uh, smash officer in the field ahead among the ranks and uh, officers. However, the possibly the main uh, task of smash shifted to the catching real and imagined German and later on uh, Japanese spies. Uh, for this purpose, uh, basically, uh, smash conducted numerous radio games against the enemy. Uh, but the, as I mentioned, the, at the same time, because uh, all uh, POWs, prisoners of war, were considered to be uh, potential spies, Smirsch continued to uh, vet every uh, serviceman who was captured by the German or even was in the, the units uh, encircled by the uh, German troops. Later, uh, yeah, from early 1944, when the, Soviet, uh, when the Red Army crossed the border with um, Eastern Europe, uh, the uh, task of Smirsh officers was, my, uh, was much wider because uh, numerous uh, foreigners started to be captured. These were not only the German uh, members of German intelligence, but also anybody who was potentially uh, had anti-Soviet feelings and potentially was um, uh, threatened uh, for the further Sovietization of uh, countries of Eastern Europe. Usually head of uh, Smirsch, Viktor Abakumov personally 
uh, went to the front line to arrest high-level officers. Uh, Peter, uh, Victor Abakum was a very interesting person. Uh, he, uh, he, he was born in a um, family of a um, factory worker and attended only four classes of a city school. Uh, he had only four years of education. And uh, he was uh, uh, grown up in a very difficult time in Russia with, um, after, uh, during and after the Civil War. Uh, and uh, he, uh, as a 13-year-old teenager, he joined the special task troops. Uh, this was, uh, these troops were uh, special because they were formed from, from not from the military, but from uh, factory workers, and uh, their task was to uh, uh, fight against uprisings among civilians. And at that time, there were numerous um, revolts of peasants because of poverty, because of hunger, and because of uh, politics of Bolsheviks against the peasants. And you can imagine that a 13 years old boy witnessed enormous atrocities, including, uh, including the use of chemical weapons against peasants and their families. This was the first time when chemical weapons were used against civilians. However, uh, he was a very tall and strong and uh, handsome, attractive-looking man. And uh, definitely he was noticed by the commander of these troops, Nikolai Podvoysky, who was an old Bolshevik uh, friend of and colleague of uh, Vladimir Lenin. And uh, uh, first, uh, uh, first war commissar of Russia before uh, Trotsky. Definitely, Podvoysky helped uh, later on during all Babakumov's career. Because uh, when uh, Abakumov joined the predecessor of uh, NKVD or GPU in 1932, he had an incredibly fast uh, career, which is which impossible to describe um, if he hadn't. Uh, if he wasn't supported by somebody very influential. Uh, Abakumov uh, was extremely popular among his colleagues. He, had, um, he was known as a ladies man, ladies man and uh, uh, the, his nickname was uh, Victor Foxtrot Dancer. He was extremely good dancer. And uh, it's very funny that Foxtrot was used in this nickname because Foxtrot was uh, completely banned in Soviet Union during that time. But definitely uh, NKVD officer could dance Foxtrot. Uh, Abakumov raised very fast, as I said, and um, during the Great Terror in 1936 uh, uh, 1938, he already was one of uh, very brutal investigators uh, during the Great Terror. And uh, there are uh, no victims of his uh, brutality and um, whom he tortured per personally. After this, uh, he was also a very young man, 30, 
one year old in 1939, when he was appointed head of an extremely uh, important position, uh, a branch of NKVD in Rostov, in the city of Rostov-on-Don, where, um, which is located in the place where Don Cossacks live, which is a very uh, sensitive issue uh, during Stalin's time. Uh, and with the, but with the beginning of the war um, in June 1941, he was Stalin appointed him head of uh, the NKVD directorate of special departments. He became uh, head of military counterintelligence, and since then his um, uh, life was connected with directly or indirectly with this service. Uh, also for his subordinates, he was uh, known as an excellent manager, uh, absolutely very clear thinker and a very good writer, despite, as I said, he had only four years of uh, education. How the Red Army people were arrested? Well, the arrest of high-level commanders, uh, Smirsch needed Stalin's uh, personal approval as defense commissar. All generals were arrested only with uh, Stalin's, on Stalin's desire or with Stalin's approval. The mid-level officers were arrested with the approval of military council of the front or the army. Uh, front, uh, it consisted of a few armies. Uh, the privates, the servicemen, were arrested on, with the approval of uh, direct commander. Uh, arrest um, usually needed, uh, during arrest, usually uh, arrest warrant needed. And uh, uh, Abakumov himself or his deputy uh, signed arrest of uh, important persons who were arrested. As you can see his uh, signature on, in the box. But uh, when Smirsch uh, crossed the border with uh, Eastern Europe, uh, an enormous number of people uh, started to be arrested without warrants. Uh, these foreigners arrested war, foreigners, for instance, uh, Raoul Wollinger, were moved to Moscow, to Moscow um, investigative prison without uh, warrants. And they were detained for many years uh, before they were tried uh, without warrants, and they were not considered formally to be arrested. Uh, they were considered special, uh, the special contingent, and they were uh, kept as uh, prisoners of war. The investigation was extremely brutal in Smirsch, and it was uh, Smirsch as an, as an organization was known um, in Red Army, uh, uh, legendary in the Red Army for its brutality. Uh, people in the field, uh, small people, privates and so on, were investigated by units in the field, and basically they were beaten until they uh, signed anything and what Smirsch investigator voted from them. Uh, important prisoners, uh, uh, Red Army generals, for instance, and uh, important foreigners were sent to Moscow. 
Moscow had uh, three special uh, investigative prisons for political prisoners. Uh, and I'm talking only about political, not uh, criminal crimes. Uh, all uh, accusation used by Smirsch were so-called political. Uh, these uh, people really uh, don't realize that the, in Soviet Union and still in Russia, there are two uh, types of prisons for investigation, which are absolutely separate from the prisons uh, for punishment. Uh, for being placed in a punishment prison or a labor camp, a person uh, needs to be uh, tried. And uh, in all investigation goes on in uh, special uh, investigative prisons. There were three um, investigation prisons during that time for political prisoners. Lubyanka, in famous Lubyanka, who, which name uh, knows only, almost everybody. Uh, and here you can see uh, Lubyanka <coughs> building uh, headquarters of Smirsch uh, during the 30s. And uh, to the right, there is an interior Lubyanka prison where uh, prisoners under investigation were uh, kept. But in Lubyanka prison, uh, conditions were not extremely bad. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, people were not tortured a lot. Um, uh, but of course, there were some kind of torture, especially uh, deprivation of uh, sleep. And, uh, um, but if uh, a prisoner, still there, is under investigation, uh, still did not uh, wanted uh, to sign what uh, the investigator wanted uh, and resisted the investigator, he or she was uh, transferred to the Lefortovo prison. This was a prison where torture was used uh, on enormous scale. And there were many, many types of torture. For instance, there was a cell with a refrigerating system uh, with very cold temperature, and on the contrary, a cell where uh, very hot uh, uh, air was blown in, and so this way uh, you can imagine what happened. But there was the third prison, Suhanova prison, where if a prisoner was uh, transferred, he was beaten to the extent when he, there was no, um, way to resist all these beatings, and he or she uh, signed everything. Uh, what was the fate of uh, prisons, uh, of Aristides, after they signed the, well, everything uh, what the investigator wanted? First of all, uh, there was a one detail, especially uh, important detail, which usually is not known that. The investigator wrote, uh, the, when he concluded the investigation, he wrote himself the uh, draft of the verdict, as well as he wrote himself uh, his opinion on the punishment for how many years and, the, and to how many, uh, um, in what uh, type of prison or uh, labor camp prison should spend these years. After this, uh, the case went to the 
trial. In the field, it was military tribunals, uh, and in Moscow, there were only two uh, high-level courts. Basically, their role was simply to rubber stamp these decisions of an investigator. Uh, in Moscow, there were, um, the main court was military collegium uh, of the Supreme Court. It was the highest military tribunal, but it uh, tried not only military people, but also civilians if they um, were charged with this treason or espionage and so on. Uh, the head of uh, this uh, military collegium, Vasily Urlich, you can see his face uh, quite, I think, it's enough to see his face. Uh, he was uh, mm, the chair of this collegium for more than 20 years, and he uh, personally uh, sentenced to death uh, thousands and thousands of people. The second board, uh, the second uh, court, which was not really a court, it was a creation of the Soviet Stalin system, was the NKVD Special Board. And it consisted uh, of, uh, usually chaired by uh, the NKVD Commissar Beria or uh, one of his deputies, and there were also two deputies present. There were, the defendant even did not, uh, even was not present at this session. They uh, signed his fate in, in absentia. Uh, and only the decision, uh, he knew about this decision only when he, um, prison guard, uh, read this decision to him later on. However, uh, as I said, uh, uh, during this period of second part of the war, um, the goal and the uh, task of Smirsch shifted more to real counterintelligence work. And this was due to the uh, numerous schools, uh, spy schools, which um, Germans um, opened uh, basically in the occupied territories, but they were also in German and Poland. And uh, Smersh uh, had, headquarters had a problem how to deal with these uh, spy schools. And the spy school, these uh, schools sent after that, after training to the Soviet territory. Uh, um, a system of uh, Smersh uh, intelligence was developed and uh, trained spies were sent to the German spies schools, uh, became um, attendees of those schools, and uh, this way Smersh uh, had information uh, and was very well informed on the um, German staff of those schools as well as agents who um, were trained in the school. and. Uh, usually, even uh, the Smersh operational groups knew the names of uh, German agents 
who would be uh, parachuted in the Soviet territory before even uh, the German operation started. The second one, it was quite complicated, of course, uh, uh, task, and uh, one of the Smash departments in headquarters was completely in charge of preparation of the spies, uh, Soviet spies, and uh, all this work. The second important uh, counterintelligence work was um, radio, so-called radio games. The principle of radio game is very simple. Uh, captured German spy was offered um, to be a double spy um, for the for not being uh, executed, and uh, if he agreed, it, he became a double agent who sent uh, cables to his uh, German handlers uh, under smash control. Well, it was extremely uh, sophisticated uh, uh, operations, and uh, um, uh, whole the other smash department was in charge of that issue. There were a group of uh, smash uh, writers who really wrote scenarios of uh, these games, then uh, wrote uh, cables uh, in Russian and German translation, and these cables were sent by uh, double agents to Germany. This way, Smash um, lured an, an enormous number of spies, uh, German spies, whom they trapped immediately. There was one more very uh, big and hard task of Smirch. Uh, because uh, Soviet POWs were so numerous uh, and uh, Germans kept them in so bad conditions in the uh, concentration camps that for most of them the only uh, way to stay alive was to join, in some way to join the German army. An enormous number of Russians, about two million of Soviet uh, POWs, served in the German army. No, basically they were in auxiliary units, uh, they were not given arms, they were translators, for instance, uh, but still, uh, of course, they served for the Germans and later on they were vetted by Smirch. However, um, this number of POWs uh, included some number of people who really became uh, fighters against this Red Army and basically against the regime. The biggest part, some of them were under German command, but the biggest part uh, was um, formed, uh, shaped in uh, the Russian Liberation Army uh, under the command of former Soviet general Andrei Vlasov. Uh, it was a real uh, regular army, but it has its own goal. Uh, these people were not really fighting uh, under German command. They, were, uh, they wanted to fight the Soviet regime uh, to create a new Russia big, um, without Stalin's uh, and Bolsheviks uh, rule. 
Germans also had a problem with this agenda. Uh, that's why they fought only during the last um, few days of the war with the Red Army. Uh, Vlasov was captured by Smirsch and all his staff. Uh, and uh, after the investigation trial, finally executed, as well as almost every who served in his army ended up finally in the Gulag. There were some more units, but uh, they were fighting under German command, as I said, and they were considered parts of German army, and uh, they were traitors. Uh, but there was a small units, uh, unit who escaped hands of Smirsch and all hands of Soviets. Uh, it was a, a unit of Cossacks, um, and Cossacks fought without, with all their family, because the family followed the Cossack troops uh, behind. Um, and uh, this was a group of approximately 500 men and women and children uh, under the command of Boris Smyslovsky. And they escaped to Liechtenstein, the small Liechtenstein of uh, uh, less than 13 thousand people accepted. It was the only country who accepted uh, these Russian refugees and didn't give them back to the Soviets. Uh, uh, Smyslovsky was a former uh, white Russian um, captain in the Tsarist army. He lived in immigration between the war and was a very successful uh, commander of this small uh, group which worked under Abwehr during the war, uh, German military intelligence and counterintelligence, and basically this group was the only of all uh, millions of Soviet POWs who survived and was uh, escaped with, from Soviet hands. And by the way, I don't think that uh, Boris Maslowski was so nice person because after the war he moved to Argentina and uh, served uh, as an advisor to the Argentinian dictator Juan Perón. No, later he moved to West Germany, but uh, for a number of years he was the main advisor of Perón. When the Red Army moved uh, to the to Europe, uh, as I said, its goals. Uh, shifted a little bit again, and the enormous number of foreigners was captured. Uh, arrests, uh, arrests in Budapest were numerous, and uh, they included Raoul Wallenberg, who was arrested near Budapest. Uh, by, and he was as well known as a Swedish diplomat who worked uh, in 1944 um, at the Swedish embassy. but. Uh, Raoul Wallenberg was only one of uh, uh, approximately 70 diplomats, foreign diplomats, who were arrested by Smirsch in basically in the capitals of Europe and then in Germany. In Sofia, first of all, um, Soviet army moved to Romania, then Sofia. Uh, in Romania, the whole uh, German, um, the whole staff of the German uh, embassy and um, uh, the whole staff of military attaché, all these people were arrested uh, and sent to Moscow. Uh, frequently, the diplomats were arrested 
uh, with their uh, members of their families. Mm, I think that uh, the example of former military attaché, German attaché, in uh, Romania, Karl Sparke is uh, very indicative or illustrative. Uh, he was arrested as a, as a former military attaché, but his wife and 13-year-old son were also arrested as a member of the family. And uh, in Moscow, uh, for six next years, uh, his wife lived with the, uh, he, her son in one cell in quite harsh conditions of uh, Lefortovo prison. When my son reached uh, 19 years, uh, the age of 19 years, he uh, was tried as well as his mother, as members of the uh, family of, of supposedly German war criminal. And uh, they spent uh, some years in the, uh, she, he in the labor camp and she in a special prison. Your father, the head of the family, this military attaché, uh, received 25 years of imprisonment and was kept in the most secret uh, prison, Vladimir prison. Fortunately, all three survived and were released uh, to Germany to, after Stalin's death. In uh, Sofia, uh, at first, uh, Soviets um, uh, Soviets agreed to not to arrest uh, German and Italian um, diplomats. They took uh, the border to a special train, which uh, was stopped on the border with Tur Turkey. Uh, the um, diplomats were waiting for their visas to Turkey while when uh, Stalin ordered to arrest all of them. A special uh, group of smash operatives uh, found the train and arrested uh, all of them and sent to Moscow. There were, um, there were uh, some uh, members of the Bulgarian and uh, Romanian government arrested and brought to smash and they spent a few next years uh, um, under the derogation of smash operatives. One of them uh, in the middle, uh, Ion Anescu, former um, Romanian dictator, uh, was interrogated for years, then he was um, sent to Romania, he, where he was, and his entourage, where all these people were tried and executed. But some, for some reason, Stalin decided that it's better to try them in Romania, not in Moscow. Uh, and uh, here is um, the photo of another uh, politician, very famous politician in Hungary, Istvan Count Istvan Betlin, who was arrested uh, around the time of Wallenberg, and uh, he died uh, in two years. He died uh, in Butyrka Prison Hospital in Moscow, being still under interrogation of Smersh. There was even more, uh, more bizarre arrests. For instance, there was an operation in uh, uh, Helsinki, capital of Finland, a um, smash operational group uh, went to Helsinki and arrested and brought to Moscow 22 Finnish citizens. Uh, 
and they spent uh, at first in investigation prison many years, then they were tried and they received, uh, uh, one of them were um, uh, executed and the others received long uh, terms in the Gulag, as well as punishment uh, prisons like Vladimir prison. So the number of people was enormous. Uh, when uh, Soviet troops started the siege of Berlin uh, under the command of Marshal uh, Georgi Zhukov, uh, Stalin ordered a special uh, search for uh, finding Hitler or his body. Uh, a few witnesses of uh, Hitler's suicide were found uh, quite soon and uh, Smersh uh, continued its search for the bodies now. Finally, the, uh, one of the operational groups found the bodies, uh, semi-burned bodies of Hitler and Eva Braun in the yard of uh, Hitler's uh, chancellery and uh, there was a long story after that because this group, uh, this uh, this unit, this detachment, smash detachment, considered this uh, its own trophy and bodies of uh, bodies of Hitler, Brown, Eva uh, Brown, as well as the whole uh, family of uh, Goebbels were moved around with the uh, with these uh, groups of smash. And uh, this unit was transferred through a number of locations until in 1970, um, Moscow, basically, uh, head of KGB at the time, Andropov, ordered to destroy the bodies. They were burnt and ashes were thrown into the local river. This is the group of uh, smears which uh, found the bodies. Nuremberg. Before, uh, as as a part of preparation uh, of uh, Nuremberg process, and the uh, Soviets um, participated only in one main uh, international Nuremberg trial. Uh, Stalin ordered to uh, select Soviet defendants for the Nuremberg trial. Uh, Smirsch prepared a list of five uh, names with description of their biographies, and Stalin picked up uh, one of them. It was um, Hans Fritsche, uh, who was not extremely well known. He was a uh, head of radio operations uh, in the um, propaganda ministry, uh, ministry of uh, Goebbels. And uh, a Smersh group, a Smersh special Smersh team, brought um, Fritz to Nuremberg. In Nuremberg, this uh, team was known as Lihachev team. The Lihachev team, uh, Lihachev was the head of this group. He was a high-level uh, uh, Smersh officer. This uh, goal of the team was not really to bring Fritz but to uh, control the behavior of the uh, Soviet delegation of um, judges and prosecutors, as well as to control the situation uh, in the 
during the trials. For instance, there was a list of um, items which they should have prevented from discussion. For instance, the problem of uh, the Katyn forest massacre. There was a very strange events during that uh, time when the team was there. There were two mysterious killings. One, uh, one was an attempt of this head of uh, the smash group, Lihachov, which is still, uh, it's not known what happened, but some um, uh, killer opened fire on Lihachev. He was never caught, and it's not known uh, who was this man. Uh, Lihachev was not killed, uh, his driver was killed. Another even more mysterious death was the death of one of Soviet prosecutors, Nikolai Zoria. One day, Zoria was found in his uh, room, uh, in, the hot, in his hotel room, with a, found dead with a wound uh, to his head. Uh, the official Soviet, um, uh, Soviet explanation was that he, uh, it was a, uh, not a suicide, or uh, it was uh, he cleaned his gun and uh, occasionally, accidentally shot himself. But all Soviet delegation was absolutely positive that uh, one officer of Lihachev's uh, team killed him. Uh, for what purpose is not clear, but uh, what is interesting is that he was uh, buried uh, not as a general, but as a private, secretly uh, buried in Germany. Well, when Smersh team was back to Moscow in May, uh, 1946, the station has, had changed. Uh, Abakumov became head of Ministry of State Security. Uh, because he was, uh, during these years of war, he was so close to Stalin that Stalin decided him to be the most powerful man in secret services. Uh, uh, at that time. From 1946 uh, until July 1951, uh, uh, Abakum was the most powerful man in the country after Stalin, maybe, which is not well known. Uh, Smersh um, ceased to exist. It was merged uh, with the Abakumov's ministry and became the third MGB main directorate. It became, it, it acquired the position which military counterintelligence counter had before Smersh uh, within the uh, secret services. Well, here you, you can see um, Marshal Zhukov in the center and uh, uh, Abakumov to the right. And at this point, <laughs> conqueror of uh, Berlin, Marshal Zhukov, was lower in the rank of Soviet hierarchy than uh, Abakumov. Well, this is how uh, Stalin and his entourage uh, saw themselves through the Soviet propaganda. Supposedly, after the war, there was this glory in the, of Soviet Union, and people were happy with beloved Stalin, and uh, uh, he was considered the happiness of the people. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Uh, we've got a few minutes for questions, um, and then there will be a signing after that. So if anybody has questions, raise your hand, and Laura will bring you the microphone. We are recording this. All right, well, I will, uh, while we think about that, I will exert the prerogative of the chair and ask the first question. Um, I'm curious, so you mentioned that this was the first book in English on Smersh. I'm curious what, if anything, has been written in Russian uh, on Smersh, or if this is something that, the, that Russian uh, historians have sort of uh, swept under the rug as just too unpleasant and, and, un, and unseemly. No. Uh, as I mentioned, the um, uh, series, one of the first huge series book on Smersh was published in um, three, um, 2003 uh, by FSB. In, uh, it was a joint uh, effort by FSB and uh, Defense Ministry, and it was uh, published for the um, exhibition at the uh, military museum about uh, smash activity during the war. And this was uh, the first uh, exposition about smash, about this glory. Of course, veterans of smash, there are there a huge uh, difference of uh, people in Russia, how they view smash, because for uh, most of veterans who are privates and uh, officers, they, all of them uh, hate smash as well as its predecessors, because it was really um, no, the most brutal organization against uh, their own. Uh, but all veterans of smash and the secret services of ASB and all this, uh, people, uh, Smersh is the glory, the main glory of their life, and uh, recently, uh, during the last 10 years, they published enormous number of books in Russian, absolutely trashy books, but each of these books, written by FSB historians and uh, these FSB veterans, glorifies the organization, and they are proud of everything they did. All atrocities they uh, the, it's, it's glorifying, okay? Over here on the, uh, on the aisle. Uh, did Schmersch have any uh, involvement with Americans, say diplomats, journalists, and others who might have been in Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union during this period? Um, then, yes and no. There were uh, a lot of problems with uh, uh, POWs, American and British POWs, when Soviet, the Red Army went to Romania and uh, Bulgaria, for instance. And of course, Smersh tried to catch all these people, but there were negotiations, and uh, later on, most of them were released. But, of course, there were some uh, tragic situations, for instance, um, in Budapest. Uh, a few, three, at least three uh, British intelligence uh, officers were one killed immediately, and uh, a group of uh, Hungarians who held the British during the war, uh, MI6 and MI9, they were uh, arrested and kept later on smashed, interrogated until 1952, then put in the special. Uh, reasons for punishment. Uh, that's why Smash didn't really um, uh, focus on uh, Americans and British, but they focused on British. I'm wrong because they, uh, Smash always, as all so secret uh, services, they always considered British the main enemy. That's why the 
the attitude to British servicemen was different a little bit. Other questions? Over here. Copy right there. One moment. Thank you for your presentation. Thank you. A question more of um, could you perhaps tell us more on current day status of internal security in military operations that are being, uh, what other countries have such activities that have internal security that's outside of military command, perhaps Chinese or something, what, what are they called? No, I don't think that there is any of such kind of organization so huge and so uh, you, you can imagine how huge it was. Uh, uh, headquarters of Smash were uh, 646 officers, only headquarters. Upper uh, headquarters uh, were 140 people. And uh, the, he, here was this organization with uh, field branches and uh, each, uh, each front had uh, headquarters of uh, from 120 to 150 people. Uh, there is nothing compare, uh, you can compare with this situation. It's... Uh, last question, right there. The, um, I think in the, in the wake of World War II, the uh, Soviets and the Americans competed for uh, people like Werner von Braun, the spy scientist, I mean the missile scientist. Uh, was the, uh, was Smersh involved in finding in? Uh... No, Smersh was a military counterintelligence. It was within embedded and so on. This was the task of other services. It was the task of KVD, for instance, Sudaplatov's uh, uh, group, which was in, in KGB at that time. Uh, and later on, because Beria, uh, was head of atomic um, project in Soviet Union. Everything went to the MVD at that time. These um, groups for searching, there were operational groups which are comparable to the Americans and British, uh, but they were, didn't belong to Smersh. Smersh were focused generals, upper people, SD people, as well as uh, any politician who would threaten later on to the uh, communist regime. Ladies and gentlemen, let's thank Dr. Birstein one more time. I hope you enjoyed this author debriefing. We'd like to know if you have any questions or comments about it. You can get in touch with us through email at spycast at spymuseum.org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. We look forward to you joining us again for another of our author debriefings, and thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us.